You're listening to episode 82, Fertile Minds Radio, and I'm your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. If you're looking for holistic wisdom and a plan to reclaim your fertility to help you create a healthy family for generations to come, you're in the right place. This is Fertile Minds Radio. Hi, how's everybody doing? I have missed you all so much. I know that we've been on with some interviews, but it's been a while since I've been on just coming at you solo, and that's what we're going to do today. It's been quite the whirlwind the last six months for me. For those of you who don't follow me over on Instagram at Lady Potions for you, you may not know that I went through, am going through a house renovation. And I say went because it was supposed to be done July 1st. And as of today, they are still here and it's November. So needless to say, I have had lots of opportunity to practice what I preach when it comes to mindfulness, to observing my thoughts instead of buying into them and avoiding decision fatigue. I've also had a lot of opportunity to practice conscious communication with my husband and my contractors, and I've had the most opportunity to really examine and utilize thought management when it comes to reframing how I perceive time. So you may have heard me talk about the concept of time and how we perceive it as being the number one variable for how stress affects us before on the show. But for those of you who haven't, I'll just go through it real quick. Our perception of how long something will last is really what dictates whether or not we will have a negative physiological response to the stressor. And that response will happen in our bodies, potentially affecting our health negatively. Or our perception of time, if it's positive and short, can dictate a stressor to show itself as just simply mental discomfort that passes quickly, oftentimes before the situation that is causing us stress is even settled. So there's a big, big difference here, right? Is the stress going to hurt us or is it just going to pass through as something that is? So to really understand this concept, you have to understand my definition of stress first. I see stress as any time that we come up against an unmet need or expectation. When you put it that way, you can really start to see how pervasive stress is in our lives. A lot of us like to play it cool, like, oh, I'm not stressed. This is my normal level of stress I always live at. I'm fine. But when you break it down into how many times we are likely to be stressed by an unmet need or expectation you can really start to see the constant onslaught and how it accumulates in our minds and our bodies. If we aren't careful, it becomes normal without realizing that it's even happening. Right? So going back to the timepiece, you might remember in the nineties, if you were into studies and stress and science, like I was, uh, when they first began studying the concept of stress and how it affected us, most scientists broke it down into this category of good stressors called eustress or bad stressors called distress. An example of eustress was traditionally things like starting a new job or having a child or getting married. And what they found in these studies is though that even though people were experiencing things that were thought to be a good stressor, like having a child, And some people, they produce negative physiological responses. So they started looking at what the common denominator was in the people that perceive stress as good. And it was their perception of time, not time itself, but their perception of time. So if you think something is going to last forever or worse, it's never going to happen, meaning you always and forever have this unmet need, the stress affects you negatively physiologically. So think about that in terms of how you view your fertility with each passing month. If it's beginning to feel like something that is never going to happen, or you've been in it for what feels like forever, I invite you to explore your perception of time. I can attest to this concept. You know, during our house renovation, the only times where I truly lost my shit, and there were a couple, the times that that happened is when I wasn't managing my perception of time or supervising my brain. So I had a lot of opportunity to really dig in and explore this concept of thought management and my perception of time 
through the use of the self-coaching model, which is what we're going to talk about today in depth. I have alluded to this uh, concept of the model on a few different episodes, but we haven't really dug in and, and explained how exactly it works, why it works in the brain, the importance of it, and then how to do it, which is all that we're going to cover. And if you want to reference those episodes that I talked about this, it was episodes 48 and 54 when we talked about certainty and thought management. But I really think that you need to hear it again, even if you've listened to these before, because these are concepts that you can't hear enough to really fully understand them and integrate them. And this is because most of us were not taught how to manage our minds. Even fewer of us were taught exercises to really understand our minds and and not just how to conceptualize how the mind works, but really to kind of take control of our brains. So this exercise of using the self-coaching model is something I've been working with for about two and a half years now in self-coaching scholars with Brooke Castillo. If you don't know who she is, she's amazing. You can find her over on the Life Coach School podcast. Um, She's just a depth of work and such a gem of what she's brought to the self-coaching world. But working with this myself has been instrumental in me reclaiming my health and my sanity as a step parent. Uh, It started with this coaching program because I was experiencing some autoimmune issues for the first time in my life. And the worst part wasn't the actual disease process itself. It was how I felt about it. And I knew from my decades of meditation practice that my feelings were connected to my thoughts, but I didn't have the tool to actually see how they were connected and how to reprogram them until I found Brooke. Now, she does not take credit for creating this model. It's really a conglomeration of works by people like Tony Robbins, Byron Katie, Pema Chodron, all people that I was well read on and admired their work. But what Brooke did is she took these concepts of how the mind and the emotional bodies interface, and she broke them down in a way that is super easy to understand in this exercise called the model. It's so important to helping you feel better that it's become a daily part of my life. And I used to think that meditation was really the most important tool in my tool basket. And it's still up there and I I do it every day because without it, I don't know that I would have been able to slow my mind enough to pick out the thoughts that I needed to work with in the construct of the model. But the two truly go hand in hand when it comes to creating the balanced life that I want to live. So when I first started using the model, I was on the verge of losing it. I felt like there was never enough time in the day to do what I wanted to do in terms of eating right, parenting, running my business, tending to my patients, um, exercising. I was having a really hard time with one of my kids and it was super painful and I was buffering a lot. And so the concept of buffering is when we engage in an activity in order to not to feel something. I was eating carbs and I was drinking wine at the end of my long ass days that I didn't have to feel the negative emotions and thoughts that were kind of just circling around in my head like a vicious shark about how I should be able to do this and why can't I handle all of this? Women handle all of this all the time and that I wasn't doing it perfectly. Does this sound familiar to any of you, those negative thoughts? And I share this because I think it's an epidemic in our superwoman culture. I really believe that the solution is people authentically sharing their dark places and how they got out of them if we're ever going to find peace in being women in this fast-paced society. So long story short, I reined in my buffering with the help of the model. I lost 15 pounds, still have some more to go. Uh, And I actually stopped drinking, which was a really big deal because it was completely accidental. It wasn't purposeful. Um, And I am married to someone who's been in the wine business, the fine wine business for over 20 years. So my house is filled with amazing yummy wine. And I'm living with four men and I suddenly have cupboards full of delicious carbs. And then in the past, if I wanted to change a behavior, I did through, I did it through restriction, meaning I just didn't have it in the house or I didn't go out if I didn't want to drink. And that worked perfectly well for me. Now, now because of the working with the model, I actually have the skill of 
being able to have it around and not use it to escape or indulge in because I know how to supervise my brain and manage my feelings. Um, or, you know, and to be able to really sit with the negative ones that would cause me to want to escape. So the model was really pivotal in helping me reshape how I did certain things in my wellness practice around my own wellness. And really the best thing that came out of it was that it helped me to become a better parent. Um, and it helped me to learn how to heal my autoimmune issues by managing my mind and what I thought about being sick in the first place, which was really the biggest problem, not actually being sick. And this was a really big deal for me because any healthcare practitioner can attest that most of us live under this false belief that we aren't supposed to get sick, um, which was exactly what was making me sick, this perfection and this unrealistic ideal that somehow my biology would trump somebody else's and I wouldn't get sick to the point of where the universe and its ultimate sense of humor made me very, very ill. So that is how I came to the model. And I just wanted to share that because it is such a tool for a plethora of things. And I really think that it can be utilized in a fertility journey in a super positive way. And I want you to understand the magic. I really want you to understand what a gift learning the model and using it in your daily life can be. So let's get into how to apply this to your fertility journey and how to use it. Because I want you to know how to use it so well and for it to become such a part of you that you will teach it to your future kids. That's really my ultimate dream because I think that understanding your brain and the way that it makes you feel and the actions that it creates from your feelings is really one of the best things that you could ever teach your kids. So there's going to be a downloadable worksheet if you would like it. It's in the show notes over at ladypotions.com. And I find that it's helpful to help you get started. Um, And you do need to write it down because the model is not magical unless you write it out. You have to take the thoughts through your physical body by writing or typing, preferably writing, in order to really start to affect your subconscious mind. I happen to agree with Joe Dispenza that your physical body is where your subconscious mind resides. And if you want to start reprogramming your autopilot thinking, you have to involve your body. You can't just think your way out of it. Trust me, I tried for the first couple of months just thinking about the model. It only started to work when I started to write it down. So let's talk about the components of the model and what they mean. The first part of the model is circumstance, which are the things that happen in our world that we can't control. One of the things that goes under the circumstance category is our past. And our past has no control over us. Uh, Nothing that we've done or said, nothing that was done or said to us has any power over us until we have a thought about it. Circumstances also include other people's behaviors, adults and children. Circumstances include what's going on in the world, who our president is. Uh, Circumstances are the facts of our lives. They are neutral until we have a thought about them. And I think that this is the hardest part for people is understanding that circumstances just are. So as my meditation teacher, David G says, we all want to yum yuck everything in our lives. We want to throw it into the good or the bad bucket in order to process it. But really everything just is all circumstances are neutral until we have a thought about it. All right. So that's the first line in the model, the C line. Our next category in the model is thoughts. So we want to think about thoughts as the sentences in your mind. There are so many of them throughout the day. So the average person has about 60 to 80,000 sentences that go through their mind each day. And about 70% of those are on repeat in our autopilot or default programming of the brain. When we use the model, we want to look at those sentences individually, and we want to evaluate those sentences. If they have any subjective terms, any adjectives, any descriptive words, then we know they are thoughts and not facts. Facts go in the circumstance line. Thoughts, which are sentences in our minds, go in the thought line. 
understanding the difference between a circumstance and a thought is one of the most important pieces of the self-coaching model. If you learn nothing else other than the difference between a thought and a circumstance, you are well on your way to understanding how your brain works. And it's really important because this small differentiation really affects whether you think life is happening or whether you think life is happening to you. So it helps you come out of this victim archetypal stance when you can understand the neutrality of any circumstance, and then you can really clearly see what it is that you think about it. So remember, circumstances are neutral until you have a thought about it. Circumstances are also something that we can all agree on. So for instance, the wall I'm looking at is gray. If you were in this room right now, you would say, yes, the wall is gray or the computer is on. That person said this and it was exactly what they said. When you start adding the horrible thing that happened in my past or this awful person said this, you're adding clarifiers and descriptive words and opinions and judgments And that's how you know that that is actually something that belongs in the thought line. That's what you're thinking about the circumstance. So only the facts belong in the circumstance line. All right. So you're going throughout your life. Remember, nothing that happens is painful. Nothing that happens is wonderful until you have a thought about it. It just is. If you can stop yum yucking everything, and I mean everything, something blissful happens. And this is a lifelong practice, by the way, because we all have triggers, but the more you examine and manage your brain, ultimately the less triggers you have, the less reactive you become, the more circumstantial you see everything, the more even you feel all the time. And when you choose to have a thought about something, that's when you're going to determine how you feel. And all of your thoughts are choices, all of them. That's the beauty of managing your brain is that you begin to understand that you can choose what you think and you get to choose if you believe what you think, right? Kind of crazy when you think about it that way, especially when you realize when you are thinking negative thoughts, why would I choose to think that, right? You get to choose what you think, even if it doesn't feel like it. The more you work with the model, the more you will understand this. So the next line in the self-coaching model is your feelings. Brooke Castillo suggests that if you have your feelings be just a one word descriptor, it's a little bit easier to manage. So sometimes there's some trouble figuring out what's a thought and what's the feeling. Like often I'll ask someone how they're feeling and they will tell me their thought. Or I'll ask someone what they're thinking. Like, this is kind of like you ask your husband, like, like, what are you thinking about, babe? And they'll tell you how they're feeling. And this is because the two are so inextricably linked, right? They happen so fast that we tend to think that they aren't separate when in fact they are. We want the feeling line to just include happy, sad, mad, anxious, fabulous, wonderful, loving, caring, whatever feeling it is that you're having. And I'm going to include a feeling list in the show notes as well, along with the the model diagram, because, and this is going to sound silly because as a grown ass woman, you would think at this point we would know our feelings. But what I found is that there are a few feelings that we often get stuck in or we like to wear often because they're comfortable. And I will like revert to those feelings when I'm doing the model, but it's not really what I'm feeling. It's like a safe feeling. And when I look at the list of all the feelings, I'm like, oh yeah, that one, that's what I'm actually feeling. I get more detailed in the process, more nuanced. And it really helps me to understand how to change the thought. So when you can really start to tease out the exact feeling that you are experiencing, magic happens because you align with the vibration that's in your body and you begin to accept that it's happening instead of just resonating with the emotion that is safe or common for you. And really all a feeling is, is a vibration in our body created from a thought. It's that simple, right? When you think of it that way, it's not as scary. And by the way, overwhelm is not a feeling. It's a cover for what's really underneath. And it's one that I hear a lot in my practice. 
I'll ask somebody how they're feeling that day and they'll just say, I'm overwhelmed and they'll burst into tears. And I don't doubt the fact that they're feeling overwhelmed. Like there's so many things, but really what's happening is there's so many emotions underneath that overwhelm is like this blanket way to escape what we're really feeling or a way to express our feelings that has been deemed normal by our fast paced society so that we don't actually have to dig underneath to some of the, um, less favorable emotions that we don't want to feel often as women. So to recap, whatever it is that you're feeling based on what you're thinking, and you want to keep that to one word for the feeling line and the thought line should be one sentence. The circumstance should be just the facts and the feeling line should just be one word that's describing how you're feeling in that moment because of the thought you're having. You want to be really clear and stay with that one track of thoughts. When you're first doing this, it's really common to just write out a bunch of stuff and get confused. Don't make it more than it is. Make it as simple as you can. The next line in the, in the model is actions. All of your feelings will drive certain actions. And I want you to really think about what happens when you are feeling loving what you might do versus what happens or what actions you take when you're feeling angry or undervalued what you might do. Those actions are going to be very different based on what you're feeling. Your actions will always determine your actions will always determine your results, which is the next line in the model. So let's go through the model really quickly again. Circumstances are the facts. You have a thought about those facts. That thought is always going to create a feeling. The feeling is always going to create an action or an inaction or a reaction. That action will then create a result. This is the beauty and the simplicity of the model. It's how humanity works. And when I first learned this, my brain totally wanted to resist its simplicity. It wanted to make all of my circumstances into something that were much bigger than they really were. So I could justify my feelings. But when I sat with it and I worked with it for long enough, I realized that it really was this simple and the more simple I made it, the better I understood myself. And I was kind of like dumbfounded of, oh my gosh, how did this woman, Brooke, effectively sum up all of the wisdom traditions that I had been reading about for close to 20 years into a five-step model that applied to literally everything in the world. My mind was blown and my soul was simultaneously relieved and humbled at the same time. And for some of you, the light bulb will go off immediately. Like you're listening to what I'm saying and you're like, yes, absolutely. I see that happen all the time in my life. And others of you will try and prove it wrong with endless examples of how it doesn't fit everything until you basically have to prove yourself wrong over and over and you can see its beauty and its simplicity and why it works. So if you want to start working with this right away, you know, and you're in a safe place, you're not in your car or like jogging somewhere, you know, you have a place where you can write this down. Maybe you're at your desk or you're on your couch. You can just think about anything that's going on with you right now and just write it down. It can be something wonderful. It can be something horrible. It it doesn't necessarily have to be bad, right? Most of us in the um, self-help world or wellness world, it's like we want to ultimately focus on what's bad and change it to good, right? But what I found that that was the most surprising in working this with this model is that I did have a slight inability to accept joy. Like it was sometimes unnerving to me. And I see this sometimes in my patients, right? When they finally fall pregnant, it's like their brain tells them, no, don't accept this until you absolutely know it's true because, you know, the other shoe might drop, something bad might happen. And then they go about buffering their feelings of wanting to feel joy, but not allowing it. And then it gets worse when they have a kid, right? Because then they, then they love this little child so much And then all of a sudden the anxiety comes through of like, oh my God, what if something happens to this child or my husband or me? 
and they block themselves from actually feeling the joy and the intense love that's there because they don't know how to just sit and be with their feelings. So it works both ways, right? So just write down something that you're dealing with or something that you're feeling. And depending on how you wrote it, you're either going to classify it as a feeling, a thought, a circumstance, an action, or a result. So again, the more simple that you can make it, the easier and faster that it sinks in and don't overcomplicate it. Okay. And we're going to go through some examples so you can see the difference of how to tell what goes in what line, because oftentimes your thoughts can really feel like a circumstance. All right. So for an example, I'll have a client come to me and say, I can't get pregnant. That would be an action because get is a verb. It may be a thought you're having, but it is, it does go in the action line because it has a verb in it. So I'm willing to bet that there's another more dangerous or negative thought in there. And one that needs to be examined or plucked out or managed, if you will. So go further with that. If you think that that is your thought, it's really the action. It's this what's happening. You're you're not getting pregnant, right? But what's the thought behind why you can't get pregnant? The words, the words, I am not pregnant is a circumstance. It can be proven and it's neutral, even if it doesn't feel neutral for you, right? Like, as I say that you might feel some vibration or feeling in your body. And if it doesn't feel neutral to you, track down the thought that makes it feel loaded because that's the thought that you need to work with. So Let's take that and we'll make that more extreme example. Let's say someone says, I hate myself because I can't get pregnant. And this happens, especially when fertility has gone on for a really long time. The I hate myself is a thought. It's not a circumstance. Even if you have the qualifier because I can't get pregnant, it's not factual. It's a thought. You're thinking it about yourself, right? And some people would say, well, is that really true? It feels true that I hate myself and I haven't been able to get pregnant, but it's a thought because the word hate is subjective. What does that even really mean when you say I hate yourself? Like to one person based on their past and their circumstances, they might think when you say something like that, oh my gosh, she's going to kill herself. And then another person might think, Oh, she's just kidding. Or why does she have to be so dramatic? So it's really subjective. And if you find subjective words in what you write down, it has to go in the T line or the thought line. So for instance, if someone says, I'm so anxious, that would be a feeling. We put F, we put that in the F line for feeling. The reason why the model is so awesome for fertility issues or any problem or challenge in life really is that anytime a client comes to me and has a problem, I can categorize it into the model. And what this does is this provides a way to look at your own thoughts objectively in the space to be able to ask yourself if they're really true or their thoughts that your brain has repeated so many times and attached a reactive feeling to that. It feels like a fact when in fact, it's really just a thought that you are choosing. And there's nothing that can't be categorized in the model. And so there's nothing that becomes too overwhelming to talk about or to think about because we know what to do with it. We know that it's either a circumstance, something that happened in the past, something that happened earlier in the day, a thought, which is a sentence, a thought a person's having about the circumstance a feeling, which is merely a vibration in your body created by that thought an action or an inaction or a reaction. And then ultimately the result you're getting from all of this, right? Like you can deconstruct it. And when you do that, you can see it so clearly and it takes a lot of the charge away. So another example might be a client comes in and says, I'm still not pregnant. That would be a result. You could put that in the C line also as a fact. I would even simplify it if you put it in the C line as not pregnant. Once you categorize whatever it is that you're dealing with, then you can look at the model and you can see the cause of it. The cause of all of our feelings, actions, and results is always going to be a thought. 
That's why I'm so insistent that you're always paying attention to your brain, because if your brain and your thoughts are responsible for everything you feel and everything that you do and all the results that you get, it's probably a really important thing to keep an eye on, right? And it's also really empowering to do so because you have ultimate control if you're doing that. And most of us don't like to keep an eye on our brain because it takes a lot of effort, right? You're having 60 to 80 thoughts a day. It takes effort to use your brain to watch your brain. So most of us would rather go into default mode and not pay attention to what we're thinking and eat or drink or exercise our feelings away momentarily. But the problem is, is that it comes back, right? It it doesn't just go away because we've shoved it under the rug for a while. So real quick, I want to explain something about the default mode of your brain to you, because it will give you some great context as to why some of you think really negative things. And by the way, we all think negative things. This is also another thing that I wish I had been taught that I'm going to have negative thoughts half the time and that that is okay. I wasn't taught how to sit with them and to be okay with that. I was on this quest to be forever happy. And I denied those negative feelings instead of just learning to accept them for the longest time. And when I learned to accept them, life got a lot easier. So the default mode brain, all right, uh, the default mode of your brain, your brain is actually more active when it's not placing its attention upon something where focus is required. And it's most active in the emotional parts of your brain in the hippocampus and the amygdala. And scientists noticed this in several studies when they had people in MRIs where they were brain mapping, meaning they were trying to decipher what part of the brain lights up when you imagine doing something. So for instance, telling the person in the MRI, I want you to imagine that you're throwing a basketball and you would see the motor lines of the hands and the feet in the brain light up. When a person is just in there and not instructed to do anything, the brain is like a disco ball. It's like lighting up all over the place, but mostly in the places that control the emotions and negative thoughts. So from there, they decided to do more in-depth studies where they were able to discern that the default mode of the brain is highly negative for almost all of us, and it serves a purpose. This part of our brain is what instructed us to crawl out of the cave, right? To keep searching for a better life, to climb the next rung on the evolutionary ladder, if you will. So without this, I wouldn't be sitting here today recording for recording this podcast for you. Things like power, electricity, the internet, they probably wouldn't exist if we didn't have this very primal part of your brain telling you to rework a problem that something's not good enough, right? So if you've ever experienced that like inability to sit with your wins and you just move on to the next thing, I want to suggest that this is probably the primal part of your brain that you're allowing to just run amok. You actually have to rein it in and celebrate the win. You have to consciously sit there in the good. So the problem of the default programming of the brain is a bit of an evolutionary mismatch, right? So this part of your brain that hasn't caught up with all that we do have in humanity, that push around the negative programming has shifted us to not be, it's it's shifted us into thinking, I'm not good enough because we have so much stuff, right? We already have the things and the life. And for most of us, we have basic safety and we don't have to worry about like a tiger coming to eat us in the middle of the night. So the negative programming brought to you by your lizard brain really thinks that it's helping you by repeating negative thoughts. So I want to suggest to you that you are in a very unique place in human history to recognize this about your brain and to start paying attention to it until you know it better than any other part of you. And that to hopefully teach this to your one day children to do the same, because this is how we will ultimately evolve into the amazing capacity that we have as conscious beings, right? It's just so crazy when you think about it, like you have the ability to watch your brain think, right? And that's what happens in meditation, right? You'll hear me say, give the part of your brain that's listening to me permission to watch and observe your thoughts. So it's almost like you feel like you're two people, right? You have this part of your brain that's thinking and conversating with itself. And then you have 
the listener, the witness, the observer. And that's the part that we want to strengthen and cultivate that we've kind of done away with in this society. Because when you strengthen that, that's the real you, right? That's the non-reactive part of you. And when we leave our brains unmanaged, it comes at a huge cost or a huge potential cost. And the reason for that is that just because you're not paying attention doesn't mean that you aren't thinking, right? The default mode is always running in the background on that loop. I promise you it is always going. And that's where the repetitive part of your brain comes into play. You're probably thinking on autopilot and you're Unless you're thinking really positive, wonderful thoughts that give you great feelings and actions and results, which is an awesome thing, the autopilot is probably highly negative unless you've done this work for years, right? So for many of us, we're running these old patterns and we're creating results that we don't want. And that's why we have to pay attention to our brains. So let's dig into another example and take it home. And I'm going to use one that doesn't involve fertility so that maybe it doesn't have as many triggers in it so that you can clearly see how everything fits in the model. So let's say you're presented with a circumstance. My boss laid me off from my job. That's a circumstance. We can all agree what has happened, right? can be proven in a court of law. We all know what that means. You're laid off. In fact, you could even just write laid off in the circumstance line. Now, what is your thought about it? You can think the reason you're upset is because your boss laid you off, but you're really upset because of the thought that you're having about it. And there are so many options. You could think, this is amazing. I can't wait to get a new job. Perfect opportunity. I hated that job anyways. Or... I hated my boss, or you can think this is just the kick that I needed to start my own business, right? Or you go completely the opposite way and you start to think things like my life is over. This is devastating. My family's not going to be able to eat. My partner's going to leave me. So you have this immense amount of thoughts to choose from. And most of us think that we, we know it's going to go one way or the other, right? Like it has to be this or that, but in reality, there's so many types of thoughts that you could choose. Most of us just don't take the time to think about what we want to think about. just seems like too much effort, right? We just let our brains pick something and run on default. So whatever we choose to think in that moment, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, will create how we feel. And then how we feel will create what we do or what we don't do, right? So if you think this is great, I'm super pumped. I can finally start my own business. You're going to feel excited and you're probably going to take action to get the business going, right? And if you have the thought, this is the end of my life. My family's never going to be the same. You're probably going to feel depressed and locked into the couch with a bag of potato chips, buffering your negative feelings as much as possible, doing absolutely nothing towards getting another job. So when you take in action, that'll of course prove to you that you can't get a job and that you can't feed your family and that your life is over. The result you create is always going to prove that original thought. And I think that that's amazing, right? Like we're always creating these realities that prove our thoughts to be right. Like our brain wants to be right about so many things to the point where we will then do the opposite of what we know is required in order to be right in our minds. So it's kind of like that adage. Sometimes when you win, you really lose. This is what I think about when the, in the model, because I don't want to just prove myself right all the time. I have relinquished that need to be right. And I really just want to examine what is true and what's not true in my life in order to create the life that I want. So I want you to notice if you write down a fact, then you want to look at what your thoughts are that you're having and the feelings that the thought is creating. And then what you're doing because of those feelings. And I want you to be really careful when you're asking yourself the question, what do I do when I feel disappointed? What do I do when I feel depressed? Make sure that you're capturing the, the action that is driven by the exact emotion And this is why I'm attaching the feeling list along with the model outline, because the better you get at determining the exact emotion you are feeling, you can counter the action or inaction that you know you're likely to take from it 
or at the very least know what's coming and empower yourself to choose to be okay with those actions that you're about to take or not take, right? Like it's okay to feel bad and give yourself permission to sit on the couch, right? To know, no, I feel really crappy right now. Like I'm going to take this time and I'm going to do nothing. I think that that's important, but I think there's a big difference between empowering yourself and seeing what you're, what you're doing ahead of time and choosing it versus feeling like it's happening to you. And that is your only choice to sit on the couch and be depressed, right? So sometimes we will try and switch models. Like we'll say something like I feel depressed or sad or anxious and I want to go cheer myself up. And that's a different model. And it might also be buffering as well, right? We need to find out what we do when we're feeling depressed, because sometimes there's a disconnection between our feelings and the action that's actually created or the non-action, right? We'll make an excuse as to why we didn't do something, but really it comes back to our feelings and our thoughts. So be careful. Think about this. Be on to yourself. Notice what feelings actually create certain actions in your life. And you'll be like kind of ahead of the game of yourself. So if you want to change the feeling of depression, then you'll think a new thought, a new feeling, and then have a new action. And that will be a different model. And I don't want you to confuse the two. I want you to stay in the clarity of one and like work the problem to the end. Deciding to feel happy or neutral is what we're going to talk about next, but you can't do that until you actually work the first problem to its completion, right? So when you under, when you spend time understanding your mind, when you start looking at your thinking and you start f- seeing the feelings that you're creating for yourself and the actions that you're taking because of those feelings, it can be overwhelming. It can be mind blowing because you can see, wow, that's all because of the thoughts I'm choosing to think. I can see why I feel the way I do and why I act the way I do. You have complete ownership of yourself. You have complete emotional responsibility of yourself. And if you have a lot of negative thinking, you're probably going to have negative results in your life. And it might actually empower you to change it. And you might decide when you start using this model and understanding yourself that it's really overwhelming to look at, and it's really frustrating. And you know that you, you already know that you have negative thoughts. So why would you want to do this more? But what I want to suggest here is that this is an opportunity to practice being curious and to be compassionate with yourself. Because if you really start understanding your mind, you may not like what's happening upstairs, right? And that's okay. And it's actually a really beautiful thing because it means that there's a lot of potential for you to change your feelings and to change what you're doing in your life and to ultimately change your results. It can actually be really exciting if you choose to think of it that way. So I think that this is a big reason why people will say to me that they've tried meditation and they can't do it. You know, either that they can't think of nothing or as their mind slows and they become really aware of what they are in fact thinking, which is normal by the way in meditation. And then they start to see their thoughts and the feelings that they produce. They don't like it and they run from it, right? At first, when you start to meditate, it's really like, oh, I can cultivate this peace and this calm. But the more you do it and the more you start to understand your mind, you do brush up against the negative parts of yourself and you have to be willing to look at it instead of run from it. And this is when the magic happens is that when you can accept it for what it is, which is simply just old programming and you can lean into it and understand yourself better and how you got there, then you can set about rewiring it and actually have some lasting change. So I want to suggest that as you go through this process of unlayering your mind, of unpacking your shit, really, if I'm being a thousand percent honest as to what this does for you, that you plan ahead on finding things that you don't really like, and that there's going to be things in your brain (laughs) that you're not amused by, that you don't like. And that's okay. And it's not a bad thing, right? Like don't yum yuck it. Just take it for what it is. Plan for it to happen because it gives you an opportunity to really make some huge changes in your life and how you show up in the world. 
And I want to point out that when I introduce this model to people and they start looking at their thinking and they start seeing the negative thoughts and the results that they're creating, one of the biggest things that will happen is they will say, how do I change it? I want to change it immediately. That's gross. Or I don't like that part about myself. How do I skip to the good part? And I myself had that reaction for a really long time. In fact, that's what I did in the beginning of my meditation practice. I just set out to be a better human being and I didn't really examine why I was feeling what I did. I wanted to skip to the good part. I wanted to erase the bad and skip to the good. And I was so scared. I was terrified of the feeling of anger and the potential reaction that it would bring up for me that I wanted to skip to forgiveness, which did not serve me at all. Other than the fact that I can teach this now because I've lived it. That's the only way that I can see that it served me, but it was like a really long way to get here. And the reason for this is that trying to change a feeling without fully understanding its breath and why it's there is like holding a beach ball underwater forever. Eventually your arms get really tired and the feeling comes flying out, usually at the worst possible time in your life and in the worst way, right? So if you don't examine it, the feeling, and you don't really get to know it and you just like skip to the good part, it's not real programming. It's like trying to run true programs at the same time on your computer and it will make you feel like a crazy person. So you have to like undo the first program and then replace it with something else. So again, this is just when the magic started to happen is when I was able to sit in my own uncomfortableness and recognize how I got there. And when I was able to do it with less critical judgment of myself and more self-compassion, I then began to actually cultivate self-compassion, which is one of the hardest things to do when we're suffering, right? It's so much easier to give compassion to somebody else, but to cultivate it for ourselves. The only way to do that is to sit in your own uncomfortableness. And this is another reason why meditation is so uncomfortable. You were literally asked to sit in an uncomfortable physical position and allow, not ignore, allow your feelings while you focus on something else. Meditation is like calisthenics for your mind. And the model is like a war general that is carefully crafting a plan of attack as he gets to know his opponent intimately well so that he can counter their actions before they get out of control, right? Like I think that you need both to go through the growth as fast as possible in a way that is... um, honoring to yourself, right? Not skipping any parts, right? So I hope that you take this episode to heart and I hope that you start working with the model and observing how your thoughts and feelings are intimately connected because they are. And when you find yourself wanting to quickly change from negative to positive, I hope that you can afford yourself the opportunity to be okay with the fact that your brain produces negative thoughts and then they won't be as scary for you. You won't want to run from them. You won't necessarily believe them all of the time. They will lose their intense vibration and their power over you. And it can be really liberating to take control of your brain in this compassionate way. And this is how we cultivate the ability to accept what is and to surrender in a non-threatening way. So this is starting to make sense now as to why I think this is the number one tool for growth and sanity on your fertility journey, right? Like I'm not asking you to create more suffering in a time when you are in fact suffering. I am inviting you to dive into it so that you can get through it and that this serves a purpose. And what that purpose is, is the ultimate growth for you as a person so that you can be a better partner. You can be a better parent and you can show up as a the best possible version of yourself in this world and that this suffering on the fraternity journey is not wasted because you rose to the occasion and you learned to do something with it. So what happens after you've examined and allowed all of your negative thoughts and you begin to want to change your results or outcomes? When you start thinking 
I want to cultivate new thought processes in my brain. Like I've sat with this for a long time and I know that that's going to take effort. One of the things that I would recommend is that you ease yourself into a state of neutrality in regards to your thoughts instead of ultimate positivity. So I'm going to give you an example of one of my most painful models that I worked for myself so you can understand why it's important to pass through neutral instead of from just flipping from negative to positive. Okay. So it was around this thought of my stepkids don't love me. Now I knew logically that this wasn't true, right? I have a great relationship with them, but instead of trying to change it, I kept working with it and examining it because it was a thought that I kept noticing was like running in this default programming. And then after working with it, the second piece came and the second piece was my stepkids don't love me the way they love their mom. And that's okay. So instead of going from, they don't love me to, they love me to pieces. I was able to go from our love is different than what they have for their bio mom. And that's okay. Ultimately it moved then into I have a unique and meaningful relationship with each of them that I treasure. When I examined the way that I felt in the first place, I understood that the thought that they don't love me wasn't based on them at all. It had nothing to do with them. It was based on my past with my step parents and my relationship that I didn't really have with them. It was old programming coloring my present and it wasn't even true right? So my mind was blown. Like, what if I had chosen to believe this? And I was starting to, because it was there, like it was agit, it was creating agitation in me and my feelings, especially when I had to do stuff from them and they were less than thankful, which is what most children and teenagers are, right? Like, especially teenagers, like they're not thankful and it's, it's just part of parenting. But if I hadn't been able to see this, I would have just mistaken what was really happening. And I, if I hadn't done this work, I would have ultimately ended up resenting the fact that I even had to parent them without anything in return. And ironically, my action would have been to push them away, even though I really wanted to have a more really meaningful relationship with them if I hadn't done the work. Because it had nothing to do with them and everything to do with me. And it is much more comfortable to put our negative emotions on something or someone else than it is to own them ourselves, right? So I want to offer that this is the case all of the time. The relationship and understanding that you have of yourself is one of the most valuable assets and it deserves time to be cultivated and nourished. And when you pass through neutral first and you practice that new thought, it is more believable in your brain than the Pollyanna happy thought you desperately want to skip to that your brain will call bullshit on, right? And I believe that this is why affirmations don't really work for many people. They haven't done the work in the middle of really understanding why they think something. And as you practice new neutral thoughts, that thought can become the more dominant than the previous negative thought. And it becomes easier to accept and eventually replaces it. And that's how you move from a really negative thought to a less negative thought, and then maybe a neutral thought. And then, and only then after you've practiced it and you've seen the power, then you move into a positive thought because affirmations are powerful, but only if you believe them. Right. And so I have found for myself that it's much more powerful to shift the thought just slightly into neutral and practice that one until I like am okay with it. And I can actually feel it take hold in my body and then move on to a more positive thought and practice believing that one and believing it before I believe it. <clears throat> when you play around with the positive thought and you can craft the one that really fits and feels believable because you know what that feels like from practicing neutral. And this is important because your brain wants to prove itself true. That's what the model demonstrates. The brain is looking for evidence for whatever it's thinking in order to show itself to be right. Cause it likes to be efficient, right? It's lazy. Basically when you start trying to change your thinking, you're going to have this cognitive dissonance 
or discomfort, basically, of adjusting from one belief to another. And so most people don't like that feeling of discomfort and they give up really quickly on trying to adopt that new thought or that new belief, because really all belief is, is a thought that's repeated enough times until you believe it in your bones. Right. And I, I want to just suggest that if you are willing to go through the discomfort and you're willing to make the effort to work with yourself, once you've thought it enough times, it becomes easier to think and you don't have to think about thinking it anymore. It just becomes what is right. And this is where you want to get to a place of being more positive, thinking more nourishing, neutral thoughts when bad things are happening, right? So that you're not reactive and that you can just see things for what they are. And then it becomes a habit of thinking this way after you've practiced it enough. And it's totally worth the effort. I promise you, like all things that are growth oriented, it is uncomfortable at first, but there's a huge, huge payoff if you're willing to put yourself in it. And you're already in it. Like you're already suffering. If you're listening to my podcast about infertility, I guarantee you are already suffering. So this is the exercise or the tool to actually walk you through the fire and get to the other side and be able to apply some meaning to it. Right? So it's not all for naught, no matter what your outcome is. So here's how I work with the model each day. Okay. I meditate to slow down my mind for about 15 to 30 minutes, depending on what my evening is like. And I typically do the model work at night as a way to process my day and clean out my mind so that I sleep better. And I will meditate and exercise in the morning. So meditate model at night, meditate, exercise in the morning. And I think of this part of self-care, like throwing a dinner party the morning is setting my intentions for the day for the party. And the evening is like cleaning up after the party. I can skip it, but the next day I have more work to do, right? Like I have to clean before I can plan for the next great thing. So after slowing my brain with meditation, I write somewhat unconsciously. I let whatever needs to come out in that moment come up and out. Or maybe there was a thought that I kept noticing in my meditation where my brain wanted to go. And I was like, Oh, I see you, but I'm coming back to my mantra. Then when I do the model, this is the time to work with that thought, right? So I'll pick the thought that seems interesting or the one that I've been working with for a while. And I plug it into the model and I write it out. So I can clearly objectively see how it's creating my feelings and my actions and ultimately my reality. And then I do another model with the result that I want to see. It might be neutral or it might be positive depending on where I am in the life cycle of working with that particular thought. Like, and I might work with the same thought like nights in a row. Right. And then that second model, I work it backwards. I start with the result I want to see so that it, And then I work it backwards so that I can understand what kind of actions, feelings, and thoughts that I need to have to cultivate that reality. Then I might write that thought from the second model over and over and over a few times to help me remember it. Okay. So, and then I, I read if I need to like move my mind into something else, I'll read about something mindless or I go to sleep. That whole process only takes me 30 minutes. That's it. Like, I don't know of anything else that can give you such a reward and only takes 30 minutes of your day if you can just commit to doing this for yourself. So I hope that you will adopt this process. And I know that this has been a longer than normal podcast, but it is something that I feel is the most important tool that you can use in this fertility journey. So please start working with it. And if you have questions, connect with me on social media um, or email. You can always email me at hillary at ladypotions.com. Truly, I do not mind. I would rather connect with you than see you walk away from this opportunity to know yourself better. And if you want to um, understand this concept even further, if you're sitting there thinking, well, this doesn't apply to all negative things, I invite you to listen in next week. Our guest, Liz Langston, is a postpartum anxiety and depression coach. And she is a living, breathing example of what happens when you apply 
this model to some really dire situations um, because it actually saved her life. So it's an amazing conversation not to be missed. Even if you haven't had your bundle of joy yet, uh, there's something to be learned and maybe even something that you will ultimately help a uh, friend or sister with from listening to it. So thank you. Thank you for your time and your attention and committing to raise your own vibration on this journey towards being a parent. It is truly the best gift that you could give yourself and your future family. Bye for now. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, I invite you to sign up for my fall into fertility cleanse. It's a lead cleanse for five days with an emphasis on healthy food choices and mind work. Like we just discussed today to help you get control of your mind when it comes to your diet and your fertility journey. You'll enjoy a week's worth of super easy and nutritious meal recommendations complete with shopping lists and daily live coaching with me to help you get a hold of your buffering patterns that are most likely holding you back from your most fertile self, body, mind, and soul. We start Monday, December 2nd. So head over to fertilemindsradio.com, our new site for all of the ways that you can work with me and click on the work with me tab to sign up.